Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. To, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word to us and your word to us today. We just um, pray that you would help us to understand it better. We ask that you would please anoint Grant with your spirit, help him teach your word today. And we just, um, we love you, Lord Jesus. We are so grateful that you are our, our great high priest who is always living to intercede for us. So um, we just pray that you'd bless your word today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Whew. Oh, it's good to be with you guys. I know I say this like every week, but... Uh, There'll be a day when we have another worship leader, and I'm looking forward to that day, but man, singing songs with you, it's just such a joy, getting to sing the words, oh, how he loves us. The story that Steve just read for us, thank you, Steve, for reading and praying, and um, is, is embedded with, I think, what we would today call Easter eggs. It's all these little, little clues, little pieces of information, little allusions to a story. And really, we're going to talk about this for the next few weeks because the author of Hebrews knows so well that the Exodus story is so ingrained in his readers' minds that he can just, that he can use that as a way to say what God did then is like what God's doing now. Also, what God did then is a little different. It's, it, there's some differences too. And so comparing and contrasting what God has done through Jesus um, is going to be really effective for the original author and for his first readers as they look at it as the backdrop um, being the Exodus story. But first I'd like to tell you that I took intro to psychology three times. First time I took it was at junior college. I made an absolute wreck of my, I just wasn't mature enough. I didn't know what to do. There was a used record store on the way to school. I just couldn't do it. It was bad. Um, I was in a band and that was a lot of fun and school was filled with people my age and it made me nervous. And you know, I was just bad at school for the first couple years, first year and a half. And, and uh, but that, you know, one, I don't know which semester it was, they all kind of blur together, but I kind of got my act together and became the student I should have been forever. And and um, then uh, ended up at Bible college. And that last semester, I took intro to, to psych. And um, then uh, 
got to Bible college and they were like, well, you can't, we're not accepting psych units from a, a secular junior college. You have to take intro to psych at the Bible college. And that sounded fair to me. So I got there the first day, same textbook, same everything, right? But, you know, there's something to be said for a Christian professor walking you through it, and I'm sure I enjoyed it. I don't remember it much. Um, but I misread the final uh, schedule. And so I showed up an hour late to the final and uh, failed the whole course uh, because I showed up an hour late to the final. And so that next semester, for the third semester in a row, I had to take intro to psychology. And if I was going to give you insight in what it was like to be 20, 21, 22-year-old Grant, let's call it pre-Tiffany Grant. That is a pretty good story to let you know. Horsepower, not a problem. What I was bad with was not only details, but just responsibility. Just so many of that, it can happen tomorrow. So many of that, does this have to be done actually today? No, I can put that off. Then why wouldn't I? And then, I don't know if your personality is like mine, but enough of those build up and then it's just overwhelming. And then change is not going to happen. And, you know, I've kind of flipped because I made mistakes in my early 20s. I've kind of flipped and, and, and try to be, uh, instead of that, like, not paying attention to detail, I, I try to be vigilant. I try to be like, not, not like what, uh, has to happen today, but like, what can I do today? Is there something coming up that I can do today that makes, you know, future Grant happy that today's Grant took care of this? But I don't know if you, uh, anything in your youth or present day resonates with that. Like, it wasn't like I was bad and rebellious and like, you can't, I'm stick. okay, it was a little like that. Like, I was sticking it to the man. But, um, but it, that wasn't the biggest problem. The biggest problem is that I just didn't take care of business today and enough of those today's line up and all of a sudden you've got a real problem that's an overwhelming situation in your life and more more than an overwhelming situation you've got consequences there's things that happen that you go this could have been so avoided if i was a little more vigilant if i paid a little more attention if somebody would have come to me and said take care my brother that you don't let today get away from you so the backdrop of this section of hebrews is the exodus story um, and the Exodus story is really the backdrop for so much of the New Testament. Um, the, the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 stand out to me as, as he uses just about the same example, the failure of the wilderness generation in Exodus um, being a, 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 a shadowy warning of our of that first century's uh, failure and potentially our failure too. He uses pretty much the same argument in 1 Corinthians 10, 6. He said, now these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So I don't think that what Paul is saying is God made the wilderness generation bad people and knuckleheads so we could see how bad it would be. And God really cares about you more and didn't care about them. Rather, I think the idea is God can bring beauty out of failure. God can redeem, can use, can take my failure and the failure of generations before me. And if I am careful, if I take care, if I'm paying attention, if I'm being vigilant, I can be the kind of person that doesn't have to learn from my own mistake over and over and over. Rather, I can look at a different generation and go, I don't want to make the mistake they made. And so... If we're going to understand 
this passage that Steve's just read to us, and I hope you have your Bible open and, and um, have Hebrews 3 in front of you. As, as we read through it again, there's a couple of concepts that I just want to talk about um, before we kind of dig in and, and, and break down the, this passage kind of verse by verse. Um, there's two things that we're going to wrestle with over, you know, like I say, the next few weeks and as the author of Hebrews comes back to these same things, and one is the rest of God. Um, rest uh, to the people in the wilderness. Now, I, I, I'm, I have to kind of assume that we have a little Sunday school knowledge, um, and if you don't, then rub, you know, rib the person next to you and go, I don't know what he's talking about. You're taking me lunch and explaining this today. And that's acceptable, and by the bylaws of Lighthouse, they have to take you to lunch. Um, <laughs> um, that's not true. Um, but you remember that the people came out of slavery and wandered in the wilderness and actually came to a point in, at the Jordan River very soon, like just you know, uh, uh, months, many months instead of many years after uh, their time as, as slaves and Moses leading them out of slavery in Egypt and they go to the, uh, to the Jordan River and God says, hey, it's time, let's enter my rest. And, and that means inherit the promised land. It's time, let's go uh, live in Canaan, this land of milk and honey that I've planned for you. But instead, they're afraid because they are unwilling to trust the power of God over and against the dangers of the world. Okay, you with me so far? So there's another story in the Exodus story that we're going to um, kind of be thinking about today that, uh, that isn't the main point, but I'll get to the main point here in, you know, an hour and a half or so. Um, and, um, but, but you'll remember as we talk about rebellion in the, in the wilderness generation, kind of one of the biggest things that comes to your mind is the incident with the golden calf, that Moses is receiving the law of God. Deuteronomy says Moses went up and the, the tablets were written by the finger of God. It's not like somebody dictated and Moses like, you know, typed it out. No, rather, this was really a gift from God to Moses for the people. And, as, and he came down and found not just that the people had built an idol, a little golden calf that they were worshiping, but really the big deal about this is that golden calf, this, they didn't make that up. This is an Egyptian god. So they are unwilling to um, trust the provision, the law, the instruction of God over and above the gods that they had been familiar with in the culture. You with me? So the point of all of this is that if we will remain faithful, what we're going to get to do is enter the rest of God. So rest is, you know, based on the same word as Sabbath, the Sabbath of God. This is like a, a very similar concept. And so it doesn't mean like, ah, kick back, had a great Saturday, feet up. Like this is not what rest means, rather it means, especially if we're thinking about that wilderness generation, this is a settled people, a people where the farms are not in danger of being burned, where they are not constantly afraid of attacks from other peoples, we're not slaves anymore, we're not nomads anymore like we were for 40 years in the desert, but rather we are settled happy, peaceful people. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be ups and downs of life, and we'll talk about it, that as we go, but rather a settled, established people 
living in the rest of God handles the travails of life very differently than nomads constantly running for their life or slaves who have no volitional ability to control their own lives at all. So what might that mean for us? What is the rest of God for us? You know, it's probably not going to be a surprise that um, the rest of God for us and for the first century readers too is going to be best understood through that lens that we talk about a lot in the now but not yet kind of reality of of the kingdom of God. It, It is rightly said that you can enter the rest of God today. In fact, I want to tell you today, if you are living apart from God, and look, Hebrews is going to demand that we do this the whole time. I'm not going to deal with, well, is this a first-time commitment, or is this a rededication, or is this a reaffirmation, or is this a confession, repentance? What are we doing? I'm just saying, you know you. If you've been wandering away from God, today's the day to say yes to Jesus. And you can enter a rest, a established life where you do not feel like you have to be on the treadmill of production and um, what, you, yeah, per, what you produce, you are what you produce and judging whether or not God loves you based on the last email you got. You can get off of that treadmill and be settled. Know for sure that you are safe in God's care. No matter what happens, no matter what the next diagnosis is, no matter what the, you know, the tax guy says in April, no matter what happens with your business, that you can say, in Christ, I am settled. I've entered the rest of God. That can be rightly said. It is also rightly said that for us who are in the rest of God, the rest of God we're still going to have to hang on for a little while longer. There's going to be endurance needed. Life with God will take endurance. There will be suffering. Jesus said so. And maybe the Exodus story is a pretty good metaphor for that too. Maybe the author of Hebrews was smart. And this is a pretty good metaphor in many ways. I mean, after all, Canaan was the promised land. But it was full of evil nations. It was full of people that needed to be dispossessed of that land. God had promised the land to... um, Israel. But when they got to the Jordan, they did see giants. They did see mighty armies. They didn't see a red carpet and, you know, Toontown-like frivolity going everywhere that they could just waltz in and go, here's the well, here's the fields. Where would you like to start? No, rather, it was we're going to trust God step by step, each day, each moment, and watch what He does as He clears out the land that we might be taken care of. God had given the land to the children of Israel, but there was a lot of conflict in settling the land, enjoying the benefits of the rest of God, enjoying the benefits of the rest that had been promised to these people was always contingent on the people's faithfulness to God. Now, that's going to challenge some of us, but let's say it again because it's biblical. The, The... experiencing the benefits of the kingdom, experiencing the benefits of being inside the rest, the care, the loving arms of God is going to be contingent on you not rebelling from God. In some ways that challenges us, but it makes perfect sense too. It's pretty much as simple as saying, I don't care how bad you want to fly, if you jump out of the top of a tree, you're going to fall. It's just the laws of nature. 
just the moral laws of the universe are, as you walk in step with the Holy Spirit, you will experience love and joy and peace. As you walk in rebellion from the Holy Spirit, you will experience a lack of love and joy and peace. In fact, it'll be filled with dissension and fights and immorality and all that other stuff. To think that we could live in the rest of God and rebel against Him is just foolish. But that's the Christianity that a lot of people want. I want to be in the kingdom of God. I want to know that I'm saved. I want my, my you know, ticket punched. I want that settled. And then I want to spend the next like 40 or 50 years of my life just pursuing myself. Just making Grant the priority, making the Combs family, making even like things that sound good, building the kingdom of Lighthouse Baptist Church. But I want to put all this other stuff in front of God in my life. But every time trials come up, I'm going to go, God, I thought you were in charge of clearing the way. No, rather, rebelling from God is going to bring consequences. You might have to take Psych 101 multiple times. Which brings us to the other kind of concept that we're going to need if we move forward. Let's talk about rebellion. Now, you probably have a pretty good idea about what the word rebellion means, um, but it would be wise for us to think about the specific example of rebellion that the author of Hebrews has in mind. Um, it isn't just warning against rebellion in general. In fact, I think when we hear the word rebellion, we kind of automatically go to big fancy sins you know, that take like a drug dealer or something. But that's not what's going on in the story that the author of Hebrews is referencing. Look at verses 7 through 11 of Hebrews 3. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, oh, remind me to talk about that. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my work for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. So, as, so this is a quote from Psalm 95. This is kind of the, most of the second half of Psalm 95. And as the author quotes from Psalm 95, he starts by saying, the Holy Spirit says. And guys, I've just, this has been on my heart all week to say this, that this right now, as I was standing here in this pulpit that I love so much, that it is right to say the Holy Spirit said that because the Holy Spirit was involved with writing Psalm 95. That would be an appropriate way to think about that. But I think the author, the pastoral voice that is quoting Psalm 95 to the people he loves is saying, guys, this is for, from God for you today. The Holy Spirit not only you know, had the author of Psalm 95 write this down, but rather this is a word for the Lord, from the Lord for this generation. And I think that we have a generation very similar, that this is the Holy Spirit talking to us. The Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes Psalm 95. Well, I mean, we have our Bibles. We might as well turn to Psalm 95 just to keep the author of Hebrews honest. You know, let's see what's going on here. Okay, 
Let me try to read as much of this as I can to you, and I'll go quickly. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. We are people of praise. Not occasionally, not weekly. Rather, we are people that should sing, should praise, should worship. Other faiths don't do this. We do this. Let's be people who lift up our voices in prayer and praise of the Lord. I imagine you guys would all say, yeah, right? Like we know this. Okay, so let's go. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Are you still in? Yeah, he's worthy of our praise. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountain are his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. You just see the psalmist gushing because God deserves it, because of the mountains. If you've ever been overwhelmed by a sunset or a redwood tree, give praise to the Lord. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let, him, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Let's be humble. Let's fall on our face. Let's not just make this like, I thouest worship thine, whatever. Let's rather fall on our face and go, dude, God, I love you so much. Oh, how he loves us. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture. He's our shepherd. He cares about us. He takes care of us. And the sheep of his hands, today if you hear his voice, here's the part you're gonna, it's gonna sound familiar. Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah on the day at Manasseh in the wilderness. And it goes on. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof Though they had seen my work for 40 years, I loathed that generation. Whew. And said, there are people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. A few things to notice about this psalm. The, this is a community psalm. It's something we're supposed to do together, calling God's people to sing, to praise, to worship, to acknowledge the might, the sustaining nature of God. The next thing to notice is this the warning in the second half of this. Did you see how it took that left turn? It was like, I thought we were praising God for the mountains. And then all of a sudden, it's about like I loathe that generation. It reminds us that our praise is not just about our emotional state right now, but rather we have a choice. Don't harden your heart. Take care, my brothers and sisters. Don't harden your heart. You notice that Psalm 95, more than Hebrews 8, is a reference to a very particular rebellion. In Hebrews 3, the author put it like this. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So we start thinking about golden calves and we start thinking about the Jordan River where they turn back and those, those rebellious acts of the people. But... Psalm 95 that the author is referencing is specific, and every one of his first readers would have known this, that this was the rebellion at Meribah. Well, I mean, we do have Bibles. We might as well turn to Exodus 17. And this is the, we don't have to read much of it, but this is the rebellion at Meribah. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. 
Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, God, uh, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why, do you, why are you picking on me? Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before him, and, and there's a miracle of, of fresh water. But this is the rebellion that the author of Hebrews has in mind. So the, the rebellion at Meribah was not, was not trusting that God could sustain them, was being in a place in the desert where there's no obvious fresh water and the people going, God hates us. Because I'm having a hard time right now, because I can't see what is happening, uh, how God might work, God must hate me. There's a word that's used in there that just like, if it doesn't sting you, you need to read it again. The words grumble. They grumbled. So rebellion can be big grand idolatry. You know, golden calves and illicit, perverted parties and the stuff that was going on that day. Rebellion can be disobeying God directly, like turning away at the River Jordan um, and not trusting that God can take the cities for you. Or it can simply be a lack of trust. Rebellion can simply be like Meribah. The attitude of, well, sure, God, it's great that you got us out of Egypt, but what have you done for me lately? All right, God, how am I supposed to trust you now? I mean, you got us this far, but come on, man. Like, like I'm having a bad day today, God. Grumble, 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 grumble. This is not lament. This is not biblical, God, I trust you, but I'm hurting. Rather, this is human, selfish grumbling. And what God said about the people of grumblers in the Old Testament was, and I, I loathed that generation. Their hearts were just like that. And the author of Hebrews wants to look me and you in the eye and go, hey guys, I want you to pay attention to that. Don't do that. Don't grumble, 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 and then go, well, I never started a meth addiction, so I must be righteous. I haven't said the F word in like three days. I'm the holiest person I know. Well, grumble, 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 grumble. You know, in some ways, the author of Hebrews is worried that his Jewish believing friends in the first century are in danger of falling into that same rebellion that their forefathers had, I don't know, 1,500 years earlier. And maybe we're in the same danger. So really quickly, three big ideas from this passage in Hebrews with all of that as pretext and context. Number one, there's urgency in obedience. Today, young Grant 
today. I didn't care enough about today. I cared about future stuff. I cared about what I wanted years from now. I cared about could I find the right job? Could I find the right wife? Could I find, would, would I, you know, could, I, could my band break the billboard, you know, top 40? I worried about that and that and that. But you know what I never worried about was today. And it cost me. Today, if you hear his voice. That's a big if. Look, if you don't sense God drawing you, I guess I don't have much to say about you. I think he is drawing you. But let's just talk to those whose hearts burn, who know that God has called us to follow him, to die to ourselves, to live a big, courageous life walking with Jesus. This is not a future thing. This is today. Three times in the next two chapters, this is going to be quoted. If you have your Bible open to Hebrews 3, you can see it. Today, if you hear His voice, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. There is concern about how to handle the past. Some of us have had pasts that are very difficult. And it, it's going to take you years to work through trauma from the past. That's true. And some of us have futures that are uncertain and there's difficulties looming. And we would love to say, God, until you explain all of that to me and give me clarity about the future, I'm going to sit right here in my grumbling. The author of Hebrews would say, today, don't harden your heart. You're going to have to trust that God is enough for your past. You're going to have to trust that God is enough for your future. Today, don't be a grumbler. Today, don't harden your heart. Do not delay in your worship. I think this is so meaningful that the, you know, a reference to any part of a psalm in the New Testament is a reference to the whole psalm. And so there's this implicit, like, you don't want to grumble? What's your favorite praise song? Sing it all day. You don't want to be a grumbler? Man, praise the Lord. Just sit there, stop, and make a list of blessings. If you can't get to 100, you're not thinking hard enough. Trade grumbling for praise. Today, trade grumbling for praise. Instead of calling your best friend every day to tell them how bad your life is, call your best friend every day and go, I just want you to know that I trust the Lord, that I'm praising Him. I saw the ocean again today. It's mind-blowingly beautiful. And I just wanted to tell you that that gives me reason to praise the Lord. Dude, grumbling is so popular. It is very popular. Do not delay in your worship. Don't hold on to bitterness or fear or anger one extra day. Just today. It's hard not to hold on to bitterness or anger because they kind of become part of our personalities. We're, we like grumbling at particular things. It's their fault. It's, you know, the reason we're in this mess is them. The reason I'm in this mess is that dude. You know, like we like grumbling at particular things. Not one more day. Give it up right now. Today is the day of your salvation from that attitude. Don't let worry even get a foothold in your life. Oh, but there's so much to worry about. There will be. It's, it, I, there will be. It's why we're people of praise. Because if we decided to be people of worry, we'd just do that forever. 
If you are young, back couple rows. Maybe it's tempting to think that a life of full commitment to Christ, just full on dying to yourself, not planning career and family for you, but rather going, God, what would you have for me? How could I glorify you? How could I be a person of praise every day? Maybe that feels just kind of like something that might happen a little later in your life. If you're in the middle of career and family, maybe you look forward to the day and you go, ah, I wish I got my act together with the Lord earlier. But at this point, between soccer practice, ballet lessons, like, and just like trying to keep food on the table, I'm hoping that someday in the future, I'll have some energy and time that I could devote to becoming the person that I think God wants me to be. I'll stop grumbling and start being a person of worship maybe someday in the future. If you're in your retirement years, maybe you look back and you go, it would have been nice, but I did okay. I'm not a bad person. I just coast in the last third here. The author of Hebrews would look at each of us and go, today. You can't get yesterday back and tomorrow. I hope tomorrow doesn't come. Y'all just want Jesus to come back? Let's just do that. Um, but tomorrow's not promised. You know this. Tomorrow's not promised. Yesterday's not coming back. Today, be a person of praise. Today can be the day of your salvation. I'm already saved. Well, good. That's great. But are you bound by bitterness? Are you bound by unforgiveness? Are you bound by anger? Are you bound by fear? Are you bound by worry? Today could be the day of your salvation. Be a person of worship. Be a person that praises the Lord today. Today's the easiest one. I'm sitting up here with all of your attention saying it. Tomorrow might be a whole different ballgame. But tomorrow, when the stuff creeps in again. If there's pain in your life today, you can meet it with a hard heart or you can meet it with trust, with even tears of real lament. If there's worry in your life, you can meet it with prayer and fasting and memorizing Scripture. Or you can meet it with a hard heart. If there's fear in you today, you can harden your heart or you can worship. You can keep a, a soft, vulnerable heart that feels like it gets hurt over and over and over again. And that's the way soft-heartedness is. And I think in some ways, this is the call of Christians is to not harden our hearts, but rather go, God, as, the, as I continue to pray through this, as I continue to be a person who worships and has a soft heart, that you would build in me trust. Not that I would deal with it by just pushing you and others away. The second big idea is that there's danger in apathy. Hebrews 3, 10 through 11 um, says, Therefore, I was provoked with that generation. And they said, actually, the author of Hebrews softened this one a little bit, right? He doesn't use the word loathed. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. Do you see that? It's not like what they did. It's who they are. C.S. Lewis, actually, in The Great Divorce, which is my favorite book, um, says uh, there's, a, there's a grumbling person in there, and we go, oh, well, is, is she going to make it or whatever? And, the, and the, the narrator goes, well, it depends. She's either grumbling or she's become a grumbler. And guys, enough grumbling turns into being a grumbler. So... It, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not inherit my rest. You know, I don't know if this has 
so much to do with God going, you did it bad, so you can't come in. It's rather this like grumbling, fearful, selfish attitude is never going to be compatible with the kingdom of God. You can't be like, I want the blood of the cross and still be selfish. I want the blood of the cross and I don't want to trust God daily. It just doesn't work. This is the ridiculous thing to say. It's like saying, I want to be a baseball player and only play basketball. You're like, well, that's not going to work. So God swore in his wrath. This is not an emotional outburst on God's part. This is perfect wrath, perfect love, perfect justice. Hearts can get so hard that God pronounces, you shall not enter my rest. And you know, I think we're tempted to go, but I only do it because they're so bad. I only do it because these people continue to be evil. I only do it because the government. Today, give all that up. Be a person of praise. This is more than just a pronouncement of judgment. This is common sense. If you can be sitting where the people were sitting at Meribah, where God had brought you out of slavery, free for the first time in generations, and not trust God, you might not be able to enter Canaan. It just might not be for you. Remember that Psalm 95 is that allusion to Exodus 17. A little bit Bible nerdy. We're tracing down some some references, but he's sticking with me. So we start in Hebrews. This is quoting Psalm 95, which is a reference to Exodus 17. And Exodus 17 is where the people go, there's no fresh water. God, you don't like us. You're not providing for us. You go, I mean part of you goes that seems kind of fair being really thirsty is hard and you go a couple days without water and stuff starts getting sick and you know this is a bad situation but can I remind you then Exodus 15 God had made a bitter water source sweet so two chapters before God had said hey Moses throw a log in the water and so he threw a log in and bitter water turned sweet And then in Exodus 16, we have the story of the institution of manna. So Exodus 16, we find that God is feeding people. And manna, you know, this little flaky stuff apparently, I don't know. But And we go, ew, couldn't he have provided like Western bacon cheeseburgers? That would have been so much better. But to to a group of people who are probably farmers, it's like the kernel is off the stock. I didn't have to grow it. It's just sitting here. I'm just going to mill it and make food like I would. Anyway. This is the easiest meal I've ever prepared. So in Exodus 17, we have people who are eating miracle food who have experienced in the not too distant future miraculously sweet water, and they are the ones going, God must not love us. And you and I are in that same situation no matter how our life has gone. We are standing in the shadow of the cross of Christ. We are standing in the glory of the resurrection. God drew you to him. You didn't find God. He introduced himself and said, you know, all of your sin and the burdens that weigh you down, I want to pay for that. And I want you to follow me and take on my burden. It's light. It's joyful. Look at this community we are in. Holy smoke, we are blessed. So to be people like that, who are going, because my life's not going well, grumble, 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 grumble. It's a different thing. Here's the deal. 
The dangerous, worrisome situations in your life are real. I don't mean to say they're not. 100% life is brutal. It is so hard. You know, I, because I say this a lot, but because of my position, I feel like I know a lot of your stories. And I, I, we could go pew by pew and go, man, I'm praying for my, your, your name is in my prayer journal weekly. And I love you. And I'm sorry it's so hard. It is, we are going through stuff. I'm going through stuff. You're going, there's stuff to go through. <sighs> but the power of God to bring rest in your life is greater. Our problems are big. Our sin is big, but his mercy is more. It is. He's bigger. And the problem at Maribot was that God's past provision wasn't enough for them to trust God for today. Don't you think they should have been excited sitting there at the waters of Meribah? Don't you think they should have been like, oh, bitter water. What's it going to be? Should we go get another log? It, what's God going to do this time? Is it going to be a rainstorm? Should we put out whatever buckets we have in a big rainstorm? How is God going to come through today? He's never not come through. How is it going to happen today? But instead of that, grumble, 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 grumble. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Evil, unbelieving heart. That sounds so extreme. This isn't a warning against like murder or adultery or some of the big sins that will get you on dateline. This is a warning against having a grumbling heart against not trusting the Lord for today. An unbelieving heart that the author is referring to is simply a heart that does not recognize God's provision. Unwilling to hang in there, hang on to hope, persevere. Today, take heart, brothers and sisters. Today, be a people of praise and not grumbling. You're allowed to tell your best friend you had a hard day. In fact, let me move on to the last point. There is safety in community. One of the things, we're so individualistic, and I'll just kind of briefly touch on this and we'll start here next week. We're so individualistic, it could be that I've been preaching about not being a grumbler and about being a person of praise, and you've gone, man, this is just more for me to do. But rather, the point the author of Hebrews is making is that this is a community event. Watch. Hebrews 3.13. But exhort one another every day. It was not, don't be a grumbler, don't make the mistake of, of Psalm 95 and Exodus 17. So you got to go home and just not worry by yourself. And if you worry by yourself, that means you're bad. And so you should just knock it off or feel bad about it. No, 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 no. This is instruction to a group. And I might bring up that it was a group mistake back in Exodus 17 too. And really, it doesn't take very many of us standing up and going, I get it, but don't we trust the Lord? To make a big difference in all of our lives. 
What a command. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Hey, today be a person of praise. And today there is somebody that's struggling being a person of praise and you can make a big difference in their life. What a truth that your encouragement can safeguard other people's hearts against the deceitfulness of sin. Sometimes sin lies to us and we believe it and it takes another person to remind us of who we really are. And of course, this encouragement comes in a million different ways. It comes at men's barbecues and men's breakfasts and women's Bible studies on Thursday. And it comes on small groups on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. And it comes in the quad over here while we're watching kids jump off the play structures. And it, it, it comes all the time. But it doesn't come on accident. What happens if we're not paying attention, if we don't take care, is grumble, 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 grumble. You know, this is what the sacrament's about, if I could just very, very briefly say, you know why you got baptized? So you could stand up and go, I'm with Jesus and Jesus is with for me. And the rest of the believing crowd could go, then we're with you too, man. And when you're down, we'll help. And when we're down, could you please help? It's why the sacrament of, of the Lord's Supper, of communion as a common loaf nourishes all of us. And we do this together, understanding this is not an individual sport. Today, somebody needs your encouragement. Today, you need the encouragement of others. This is going to be a reoccurring theme in Hebrews. You know we're getting to Hebrews 10, where it's going to say, don't stop getting together. This is the habit of some. Why? Because there's people that need your encouragement. The big idea remains, we all need encouragement. We all need to be encouragers. Today is all we have. How are we going to spend it? In anger? Are we going to spend it in fear? Are we going to spend it in grumbling? Or are we going to spend it in praise? Would you, would you do me a favor and just let's... Let's just all pray together. Would you close your eyes? And I wonder, I wonder if you would think of the biggest pieces of grumbling in your life, the things that it's most easy to grumble about, it's most easy to, to use as reasons not to trust the Lord. If you could, I wonder if you could picture them as objects. You know what I mean? Like it's, um, if they had a physical peace to him what would that look like and I wonder if you could just kind of in your mind just make a pile of all of them and just think about all of the things that get in our way of praise you know what I might we might even imagine trying to pick all that up and feel our muscles burn it's hard to carry all that stuff and I wonder if we could just picture taking that to Christ, not just by yourselves, but all of us with arms full of worries, arms full of cares, and realizing how much bigger, greater, able to provide Christ is. That we might be people who, don't, who walk away from that experience no longer desiring to grumble, but grateful full of praise. Heavenly Father, 
we all, we all have grumbling in us. Heavenly Father, we all know what it's like to be distracted by worry and distracted by bitter water when we need fresh water in one way or another. Lord, we all know what it's like to grumble. And Lord, I don't think you're calling us to ignore the problems in the world or the problems in our lives, but I do think you are calling us to trust in spite of them. And Lord, I know you're calling us to bear one another's burdens, to care for each other, to encourage each other and be an encouragement, to be people individually who are people of praise instead of grumbling, and to be a place, to be a Christian community that is a place of praise. Lord, thank you for your great love for us. Lord, may we respond to your great love by being people of faith.